We are in 1 John chapter 2. So it says this in verse uh, 15. It says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Uh, Let's pray. Jesus, uh, thank you, Father God, so much uh, that your spirit is in this place today, Father God. Whether technology works or whether it doesn't, Father God, Lord, your spirit is more powerful than any of that, and we just believe that, Lord. And right now I pray that you'd speak through me, God, uh, that you'd be here in this room with us, Lord, and that everything that you would have me to say, I would say that, and let everything else just fall to the ground before it ever even comes out of my mouth. Lord, we love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So this is what, what I want to start to do, do today is actually, um, which is going to be kind of hard to do without the screen. I don't normally start here, but I actually want to start today with the Greek of, of this passage that we just looked at uh, because uh, it's actually very, very fascinating. So I want to start with the Greek. So just hang with me for just a couple of, uh, a couple of minutes. If you, look, if you look in your Bible, this middle chunk, this middle chunk that says... Uh, that, that, that says the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. That's very important, and we're going to get back to that in just a couple of minutes. But if you take out the middle uh, section completely and just kind of look at the rest, this is what we get. You get do not love the world or the things of this world. Uh, and then you get the, the reason for that. You kind of get the what not to do, and you get the reason for that. The reason is, is that the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Now, passing away, okay, this word passing away is a Greek word that means to pass by, okay? So this is something that uh, you could say it like this. You could say this is only passing through. It's, it's at some point going to leave. So the world that we know, the world that we recognize, the things that we can touch are only passing through, and at some point they're going to leave. Now, on the contrary to that, On contrary to the things that are not going to stay, there is a whole other world of things that are going to stay. And it says that whoever does the will of God abides forever. Now, abides is a Greek word which means to be held or to remain or to continue. And then the word forever is actually two different Greek words. One is the word ice, uh, which means into. And then the other is the word aeon, which means an unbroken age. Okay? An unbroken age. So you could say it like this. The person who, the one is passing away, but whoever does the will of God will continue into an unbroken age. The person who does the will of God right now, you and I, we might live in a broken world. We might live in a place where the tangible things exist in our hands right now, but then they're fading away and they're going away. But you can actually live your life in such a way now where you're going to continue into something that cannot be broken. Living in a world that is fleeting, but living a life that is forever. Now, this is one of these things that I, I, I think about this passage. Um, and I think this is one of the most important things, and I think it's why it's worth it that we kind of look at these words. Um, see, um, all of these words that I just explained to you are all given to us in the present tense. So they're not giving it to us in like this future sense, and they're not giving it to us as in yesterday. It's, this is not something that is only for, uh, this is not something that was only for before, and this is not only something that we can look forward to. This is something that's actually happening right now, today. 
And, and I think that it's first and foremost very important for us that we recognize that in a world that is passing away, there is another world which is not passing away. And in this, in, in this world, there are many things that are going to pass away with it. But, and for some reason, I don't know why this is, but I feel like people can't help but cling to things that they're just going to be gone. Like we love to focus on things that are here, and we know they're not going to last, but yet we give our lives for these things. And what this verse is telling us is this. It is telling us you can live your life in an unbroken age, even now, okay? Even today. Even today, you can live your life in an age that cannot be broken. Or you can give up that life, that unbroken life, for the things in life that are 100% guaranteed to go away one day. And for some reason, so many of us choose to do that. I, uh, I was in a car accident this week. And until this week, I never in my life had actually been in a car accident. It's not something that I've ever had to deal with. It's not something that I've ever done. I've never been in a car accident. And, and I left this particular scene pretty shook up. I left it pretty sad. I, you know, I kind of just thinking about what had happened and everything that kind of went on. And I, I thinking about uh, the other people that were involved and the people who were injured. And um, all four of my daughters were in the van with me. And uh, if, you, if you're familiar with the area, what, what happened was we were, we were driving, we were just pulling away from our house. Uh, one thing that they, they tell us is that accidents never, they always happen real close to home normally. Um, and so what happens is I'm pulling out of my, my house and I, I get to Werner. I live on Ferdinand and I get to Werner and it was taking the girls to school at eight in the morning. And the way that it, uh, the way that it was um, the way that was happening was on the way coming kind of toward the church, traffic was just stopped. So like if you're going toward Junction, cars are just backed up all the way to Clark. But they decided to leave a little space right there for me to pull out on Ferdinand. You know, the courteous thing to do, let's leave a space. But traffic going the other direction was flowing just totally fine. So I get there, I look down, I see a car that's maybe right about here, and I'm here, and I, and I see him, and I say, I, you know, I didn't even think anything of it, I'm just like, okay, I'll go. And I was going straight to go through on Ferdinand, and I'm and going straight through, and this car, I just look, and all of a sudden, I guess I didn't gauge this properly, this car just smashes the side of our van. Like, it's, I guess it's like a T-bone or whatever, just, it was, um, that, that, that's, that's kind of what happened, and, it, and so, uh, it hit right, literally right where my daughter Millie was sitting. And then behind her was my daughter Fiona. So Millie got probably the, the most of it, and then Fiona was right behind her. And after the accident was over, like after it all hit, it hit right, it pulled the side of the road. And I mean, we were definitely hit at pretty high speeds because the, the car, you could tell when you look at this car, it was pretty... It was pretty screwed up. And yet, miraculously, none of my kids were even hurt at all. Uh, all four of them, I'd like to say without a scratch, Millie had one scratch. Eloise couldn't walk, but she can't walk anyway, so I think she'll be able to walk probably when we're, she's still learning how to walk, so she'll, she's fine. Nobody was even really phased by it. And we're, we're still waiting to hear about the, the van. And my hope is that the van is not total. But do you know what everybody keeps telling me? as we're kind of uh, telling the story and we're waiting to hear about, is the van told, is it not told? Everyone says the same thing, and I'm sure you know exactly what it is. They say, at least no one was hurt. 
And if you're ever in an accident, if there are other people in your car with you, then you know instantly what's the first thing you think of. The first thing that you think of, you say, is everybody all right? Is everybody okay? You know, I, I looked back, and I looked, kids, are, is everybody okay? Can, can any, can everybody move? Is anybody have, is anybody bleeding? Uh, did anybody hit their head? Is there, like, what, what's been done? What kind of damage is, has been done, right? And, and then, you, whatever it is, you figure that out. And then after you make sure your people are okay, you get out. And then you go to the other car to make sure that they're okay. Now, in my instance, uh, the other car uh, was full of, it was like full of teenagers who were on their way to school. And they, so in, 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 nobody was hurt too badly, but they were all crying and they were all really, really shook up. It was just, a, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was kind of screwed up time. They were really sad. They, were mad, they weren't mad at me, I don't think, but maybe they were. And anyway, then the ambulance came uh, because the ambulance always comes, right? That's kind of what happens. So after you, uh, the, 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 so that's kind of the process. You get out, you look, you make sure everybody's okay. Then the ambulance comes and anybody who's not okay, they get on that ambulance and they would then drive away. And then the very last thing that happens after all of that, after you make sure every person's okay, the police come, they get the story, they figure it out. The very last thing that you do is what? The very last thing you do is you go look over your van, you call a tow truck, call the insurance company, and you figure out what you're going to do with your stuff. But it's the very absolute last priority. Because things like cars, they're cool, they're helpful, they're convenient, but they don't actually matter. In the scheme of life and all the things in life that are actually significant, the things that do matter always come out in these dark moments of our lives, in the scariest moments. The police, they don't run to the car and look it over right away to make sure you're not going to go have to buy a new one, right? They don't care about that. They run to people. They run to people. Our instincts always begin with people. Because something innately tells us that only in people is a value found that you cannot put a dollar sign on. You can't put an amount to. But you see, we know this in tragedies, right? We know this in car accidents. But in the day that we're not facing something catastrophic or something dangerous or something scary, we don't always live like that. And yet one of the most common traps that so many of us tend to fall into is the trap of stuff. The trap of a life that says, I have to work more so that I can have more. And then what we don't, what we don't realize often is that, the, is that in our ambitions and our aspirations that we're trying to take care of our family, a lot of times what we do is we build a life at the expense of the life we're convinced we're building it for. We're missing the life that we're working for. And that's the world system. That's the system that we live in. That's the way the world is. And so John has to tell us, he says, don't live like that. Don't love the world. Don't love the things of this world because the things of this world, they are enticing. They are desirable. There is a reason that you want these things, but these things are also very distracting. And he shows us three things. And these things are very significant. And this is verse uh, 16. And we read it, we're going to read it again. Verse 16 says, The desires of the flesh and the desires of the, eye, of, of the eyes and the pride of life. Now, the word desires is the Greek word epithumeo. 
And epithumeo is actually a combination of two different Greek words. One is epi, which means in, and then the other one is thumos, which means the mind. So epithumeo, if you combine these two words, what you get is in the mind. Okay? And, but then when you put them together, you get this word epithumeo, which epithumeo literally means to set your heart upon. In other places of the New Testament, such as the Sermon on the Mount, the word is translated as lust. We also have other translations who translate uh, this verse as lust, the lust of the eyes, the lust of life. So, so, so John, he uses this word twice. He says the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Now when we say lust of the flesh, we're not just talking about sexual lust, even though that absolutely does, does invo- is involved in this. The reality is, is lust can be so much more than that. That's where it, usually where we go, but it's more than that. Like, there's a variety of things that we set our hearts upon, and we try to let fulfill our lives, even though we know that they're not actually going to fulfill us. And there, in that, that's, what, that's why I think this word matters so much, right? You can, you can lust for food. You can lust for, you can lust for something that's not yours. And, and the significance, there's very significant that uh, this word got used two different times in this passage, because it describes things that they're not always bad things, but the lust for them, the overindulgence in them, is bad. Like, for you to set your heart upon those things is bad, because that kind of makes that an end all, right? Like, if food is not bad, but living your life to eat food, living for food, that is bad. Being blessed in some way, that's not bad. It's not bad to be blessed, but living your life to get more stuff, that's bad bad. Another translation says the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he does. We could say it like this. We could say lust, greed, and pride are not from the Father, but they are from the world. Now, of those three, lust, greed, and pride, Everybody kind of has one that, if we're honest with yourselves, you think, well, this is probably the area in my life i got to guard the most against. I, I know that there are other things that we need to guard against, but usually these three, they seem to be the big three. You, you can kind of categorize a lot of the things we struggle with into these three, lust, greed, and pride. One thing that um, our pastor in New York, Pastor Brad, uh, would say about this, is he, and he said that he actually learned this from his mentors and his leaders, and he was talking about kind of in cultivating leadership and cultivating communities of people who are going to lead his church and people who he's going to be really close to. And he'd always say, I don't really feel like I know you that well, like as in like we're going to do arm in arm, we're going to do ministry together, we're going to live life together, unless I kind of know which of these three you're probably most drawn to. And that's not so that he can hold that against us. It's something so that we can help each other out, so we can help each other through things, right? So that we can actually know each other. See, one of the first things that's very important in cultivating the type of community that we are trying to cultivate here is we have to cultivate trust between one another. And the only way that you're going to cultivate trust is if you create environments where first and foremost, everybody is welcome. But second, not all, they, 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 when they're, they're welcome as they are, they feel loved as they are, they feel accepted as they are. They know that, that who they are is accepted. And, and I wrote this down um, and for the screen, which is frozen. And I said, Courage Church must be a community where people are fully known, they're fully loved, and they're fully accepted. When we truly know each other, 
And we're still committed to each other, even though we know all these things that are wrong with each other. That's a good indication that we're moving forward together. That's one of our, our denominations things right now is we're saying we want to move forward together. How do we go together forward? How do we move on forward together? And I believe that those are keys for our church. I really believe that two keys, very components culturally that we've got to get right, and one of them is the Holy Spirit. You know, we spent seven weeks on this uh, this year. Like, we have got to let the Holy Spirit lead us and guide us. Like, that's why we spent so much time on it for so long. We have got to get that right. And then the other thing that I think we absolutely have got to get right is we've got to cultivate a community where everybody is known and everybody is accepted for who they are as we hold each other accountable and do life together, all moving forward in the direction of who God actually dreams for our lives to be. Because he doesn't want us to stay the way that we are, but he meets us the way that we are. But before we can be known, we have to know ourselves. So what is it for you? Is it lust? Is it greed? Is it pride? I know for me, and it's tough to even say this, but I, I think it's probably pride. And uh, the reason that I say it's tough is because I, that's very scary because I really believe that pride is actually probably the most destructive one on this entire list. So it's something I have to fight against and work against. But for me, it's that, it's that boasting in what he does, boasting in what he has. It's, it, 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 it's like, what have I accomplished? It's like, how can we, like, it... And I'm not saying that to say, oh, look at how great I am. I'm, this, I don't, I'm not prideful in a way that I actually believe that I'm like better than anybody because I don't believe that. But what I do is I struggle with putting my worth in the things that I accomplish or the things that I don't accomplish, which quite frankly a lot of times makes me feel worthless because I'm, I'm based on how many people are or are not in church today, how many people do or do not listen to the podcast, how many people do or do not like me, what do people think of me? Where's the applause? What are the things that are building me up? The word pride in Hebrew, the literal word pride means to lift up strength. What makes me feel like I'm strong? But the things that make me feel strong, if that thing is anything other than the gospel, then they're actually separating me from the gospel because the gospel says, no, I'm weak, he is my strength. Second Chronicles, everybody knows this verse, Second Chronicles 7, 14, it says that if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and they will uh, pray, I will forgive them and I will heal them. Like if we want healing from this issue, we have to understand it starts with humility and then it leads to prayer, but it starts with humility. Humble yourself. Humble in Hebrew means to tear down the wall. To tear down the wall. It means that I tear down all of the things that I've built up that are actually dividing me from living in the love of God. Think of the wall that you put up between you and God when you live in pride. Just think about that. Because pride ultimately says, I don't need you. But on the contrary, humility acknowledges that I am enough only because Jesus is enough for me. And if you can let that reality just sort of take shape in your life, it will be your solution, no matter which of those three that you're drawn to. 
Because the same gospel that tells me you're worth the exact same, whether what you do succeeds or whether you fall on your face, is the same gospel that will tell you that whether or not you have the newest house or you have the newest TV or whether you're married or you're single, it's the same gospel that will fill you in those moments. It's the same gospel that will fill you when you think you need to give in to your flesh and your desires and your lust and your covetousness. When you're greedy and all you can think about is what can I get? And you look to the cross, you're going to see that Jesus, all he ever taught us and modeled for us and all that he ever thought about us, what can I give? You know, when, when you focus on the things of this world, you start to understand this world is all about what it can get. It's all about what can I get, what can I get, what can I get. Matthew 6, right? Jesus says, well, most people, what they do is they lay up treasures here on earth. And it's all going to go away. Just like we talked about. It's here today, it's gone tomorrow. It's fleeting. It's moth and rust, they, they break it in steel, they destroy it, it's, it's gone. But he says, but you should be laying up treasures in heaven. When you get stuff, you're laying up treasures on earth. But when you give it away, you're laying up treasures in heaven. The gospel teaches us how to give. Uh, in Matthew 4, just to show you this quick, when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, right, he was tempted by, by Satan in the wilderness. This is what basically happens, right? The devil comes to him with these three tests. And what he does is he, he tests him at first with something to set his heart upon, right? He tests him with food, right? Jesus is fasting, he's allow, right? So Jesus is fasting, and he's allowing God to fill him completely, and he's not relying on food to fill him, right? Jesus is not relying on food to fill him. He's relying on the Spirit of God to fill him, right? And so what the very first thing the devil goes after him for is the devil goes after him and says, hey, you don't need the Spirit to fill you. All you got to do is eat, turn this stone into bread, right? He says, take of this, indulge in this, give in to this craving. But really what it is is a message that says, Jesus, God's not enough for you. You're never going to be fill, filled until you are full by the world standards. And the world standard says you need to eat. Then the devil takes him to the pinnacle of the temple, right? And he says, if you are the son of God, prove it. Show us. Show us what you can do. Throw yourself down and let us see how powerful you are. And I, to me, that always reminds me of like that old saying that says, if you have to tell somebody that you're in charge, you're probably not actually in charge, Right? It's like somebody does something that defies us and then you get all puffed up and you're like, and you thought like, okay, let me show you how big of a deal it is that I am. But what that is, is it's pride. That's why I, when I, I try my absolute hardest to lean as far as I can into the gospel in every area of my life, whether it be leadership or whether it be in our home or whether it be my friendships and communities. Because I, I understand like what Paul says it like this. He says, I'm not going to boast in anything besides Christ and him being crucified. So Jesus, he knew who he was. He knew who he was. He knew, I belong to my Father. I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, and I do not need to live on proving ground with little Satan. I don't need to do that. I don't need to prove to you how big of a deal I am. And then finally, Satan takes him up on the mountain, and he shows him everything. He says, this all could be yours if you just would bow down and worship me. You can have everything. You just need to compromise who you are. What's he doing? He's trying to get Jesus to give in to greed. He says, you can have the whole world. You don't have to wait at all. It's all yours. He actually did the exact same thing in Genesis 3 to Eve. It's always been the same tricks. And that's why this is so significant. 
It's always been the same tricks. And understanding the areas that the devil always attacks is our first defense against those attacks. If he can make you believe that stuff is worth compromising for, that, that literally you, what you're doing is you're giving up life in an unbroken age for things that are broken and the things that will not last. And this is what makes the temptation to me so significant in Matthew 4. And it's what makes the entire life of Jesus so significant. One thing that John, he constantly says in this letter is this. He says, Jesus came in the flesh. He says in his gospel, he says, in the beginning what the word became flesh. So Jesus came in that same exact flesh that in these verses that John says is worldly. Now that's not saying Jesus is worldly. It just shows us how much of the world Jesus had to overcome in his life. Flesh is the Greek word sarx. And Ben, you can come back up. And we're going to talk more about this word sarx uh, later in this series. So we can kind of consider this to be your bit of an introduction on it. But it's the exact same word as when it talks to, about Jesus and what it says here when it says, for all that's in the world, the desires of the flesh, right? Jesus faced those same desires, yet he overcame every single one of them. One of my favorite verses, and I use this a lot with you guys, is Hebrews 4.15, and it says this. It says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but one who, is in every, who, who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet he's without sin. Guys, the temptation of Jesus, it would carry zero significance if the things that Satan presented to him weren't actually tempting. But they were tempting. They were enticing. They were desirable. Yet as our example, he said no to them. But what this verse tells us is that from the very beginning, Jesus has been living out this very verse that we studied today in 1 John 2. So that he could be that perfect sacrifice for us. From the beginning, he's been pushing away the things that are passing away, no matter how great they may seem, in exchange for the things that last forever. He clings to the things that last forever. He dies for the things that last forever. You know, on Friday night, I, I was feeding Eloise her dinner. We were just sitting in my house, and um, Dawn had gone to the Courage House, and she was helping. They were moving bricks, and uh, I was babysitting. It probably should have been the other way around, but it was a long story. Um, and so I'm feeding the baby, and in the distance, I start to hear sirens going off. And, and I might talk about this more in a few weeks as we kind of continue on through this series, but... One thing I'm noticing, because I'd never been in a car accident before, but in the aftermath of being in that accident and kind of the trauma that it felt, you know, I know nobody got too hurt, but I'm a little more edgy right now. I'm a little bit more paranoid um, when I'm driving. And so everything kind of just takes me right back there. And I think in some instances it's probably not healthy, and others like this one maybe it is. See, as I was feeding her and I heard the siren in the background, I just, I looked in her eyes. In the eyes of just this little baby, nine-month-old baby as I'm feeding her. And look at her, she's smiling back at me as I'm feeding her. She's laughing. And I was just so thankful that when that ambulance came for us just two days before, my little baby didn't have to get in it. My daughters, who got a direct hit right where they were sitting, 
They didn't have to get in it. My little baby's still sitting at our, at, in her, in her um, high chair. She's smiling at me and she's laughing at me and I'm smiling at her. So, of course, I try to do this always, but even more so now. I, I said a little prayer for whoever that was that that ambulance on Friday night was going to pick up to whatever scene it was that they were heading toward. A scene that was likely just like ours, where material things may be gone. But that siren doesn't go off to get people quickly to material things. It goes off so that we can save lives. Because there are things in life that you can throw away. Just throw it away. And there are things in life that are worth dying for. And Jesus died for people. There are things in life that can carry us to wherever it is that we think that we want to go. There's only one thing that we can carry with us to where it is that we're truly going. And that's people. The currency of the kingdom of heaven is us living our lives for other people. We say it like this a lot, it's generosity. So that others may see the things of this world and see how that they're worthless compared to abiding with Jesus forever. In an unbroken age where there is no more pain, there is no more sorrow, there are no more tears, there are no more car accidents, there is no more cancer, there's no more socioeconomic divides, there's no more racial divides. Everything that is broken here cannot exist, at least not in its broken state, in the unbroken age. And that is what we represent today in our communities, in our city, into our world. That's what we represent today when we go out and we march in that parade. So I just wanna encourage you guys that let's leave this place today and let's step out into our community and join them for that parade. And let's invite them to these strategic things that are coming up that they will give them real tangible help. But hopefully, in my prayer, in what we do, because if it doesn't work out this way, then it's like, why do we do it at all? My prayer is that people will come to us for the tangible, but they will leave with the eternal. And that's our prayer for everything we're going to do this summer. It's going to be a busy summer, but it's going to be an amazing summer, loving Detroit and the people of the city. Let's pray.